Hey guys, it's Riley Beveridge here. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast. We just wanted to have a quick note to let you know we recorded this before Lockie Hunter's Indiscretions, which came to air on Friday morning. Uh, that's why we don't delve too much into that or into that at all throughout the podcast that you're about to listen to. Obviously, there's a lot to play out uh, in regards to the Lockie Hunter situation, the information that's still to come to light. Uh, and the potential punishments that he could receive from both the AFL and the Western Bulldogs. Uh, obviously, we'll get to that shortly when it comes. But for now, enjoy this podcast with myself and Mark McGowan. Welcome to AFL.com.au's special club-by-club footy feed edition during the shutdown period. We're looking at the Western Bulldogs today, and joining me to do so is Riley Beveridge. How are you, Riley? Go, Mark. How's things? Yeah, going well, going well. Not so good for the Bulldogs. Obviously, round one, a lot of hype, big stage, and they got done by 52 points against a, another premiership contender. What did you make of it first up? Look, I don't think I don't think a round one loss to Collingwood is a disaster. I think Collingwood's a very good side, and they'll, they'll prove that throughout the 2020 season, hopefully when it gets back up and running again at some point. But the, the manner of the defeat for the Western Bulldogs would have been what's worrying. I mean, to be beaten so comprehensively in virtually every facet of the ground, you look, their midfield got absolutely thumped. It's an incredibly talented midfield group, but but Collingwood have one that's just as good, arguably, if not better. So it got thumped by the midfield group. That all obviously started in the ruck with with Tim English overwhelmed by Brody Grundy. Uh, that in turn just didn't give their defenders any chance. I mean, they bring in Alex Keith over the off season and, and he's under all sorts of pressure in round one just because the ball's being uh, brought into that defensive 50 so so rapidly and so fluidly. Mm. And and then in t- and then another uh, sort of effect of that is the fact that their their forward line just can't get going as a result of, of not getting their hands on the ball as much as they should have throughout the middle. So, look, definitely some a lot for Luke Beveridge to ponder throughout this shutdown period. They would have uh, rather got their season off to a better start than what they did. They would have wanted to get some early momentum given that they – were one of the most hyped sides throughout preseason. But I still stick fat with the dogs. I think their list is good enough for them to, to once again make a challenge for the finals, if not better, like a, a top four finish or a premiership finish. So you, you tipped of, them, Riley. You tipped them for the flag. You, you were pretty bullish on these guys going into the season. Yeah, I was. And I, I, that was born from their midfield. So I look at a midfield that's got Marcus Bontempelli, Jackson McRae, Lockie Hunter, Josh Dunkley, uh, and then you look at the younger kids that they've started to bring through over the last couple of years, like Bailey Smith, who's into his second season and actually was one of the few shining lights in round one. And then you've got Patrick Lipinski. I know he didn't play round one because of that concussion issue, but but he's another one they brought through late last year and he showed signs of what he can do. If you've got a midfield that's that strong, uh, generally you get yourself off to a pretty good start and you lay a pretty good foundation for the rest of your team. And and I think they they... They strengthened their key position posts at either end of the field in the trade period. They brought in Alex Keith down back. They bring in Josh Bruce up forward. Uh, they'll supplement what they've already got. They've already got some pretty good experienced and young players at either end of the field. You look at someone like an Aaron Norton, who's going to be one of the best key forwards in the competition one day. I truly believe that. And then down back, Easton Woods, an experienced defender and can intercept. Hayden Crozier is another really good intercept defender who had a good season with the Dogs last year. So I, I think they've got the list balance right. And I think they've got a really strong list. I thought they'd be able to put it all together this year, particularly what they showed back end of last season. I know they were thrashed by GWS in that elimination final, but they really came with a strong tailwind towards the back end of the year to actually qualify for September. So to see what they dished up in round one, I was quite disappointed because I've got incredibly high hopes for the dogs. And I think 2016, yes, it might've been like a 
I sort of viewed it almost like a Hawthorne 2008 year where everyone could see what type of list they were building, but the success probably came a bit too early. Not too early. You could never have success too early, but earlier than what some expected. And I thought that might have been their 2008 uh, in 2016. And then four or five years on, they might have really started to, to build almost like a dynasty type situation. I know you can... Uh, putting a lot of expectation on him here. I'm not I'm not saying they I expected him to win three or four flags in a row as the Hawks did, but I'm, I just thought that they'd be consistent challenges for the next three or four years. So to see what they dished up in round one, I was a bit disappointed. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting game to watch from close up. I was covering that game sitting in the in the media box. There weren't many of us in the crowd that night, but um, it, it it's an interesting one. The, the midfield is the part of their dogs that instantly everyone goes to when they say you, you did it as well. The reason you went for the flag. You tipped them for the flag was that first up, they've got such a great midfield. And a lot of that is because Marcus Bontempelli never has a bad game. And this was one of the one of the nights where he, he was well, well down. And it was really interesting to see that flow and effect then to Josh Dunkley not having an impact um, and several guys like that. But the big talking point out of that game was Tim English again struggling against Brody Grundy. There's, there's a lot of hype around Tim English as well. Um, obviously very young and, and Ruckman do take time. This is now the sort of third or fourth time he's he's copped a real battering from Brody Grundy. So, it, if they're going to contend for the flag, Riley, can they afford to push on with him and, and just hope he develops quicker than they hope, or do they have to turn to someone like a Jordan Sweet? I think they can afford to push on with him. I think he's shown glimpses of his talent. He hasn't necessarily been able to put it together convincingly. I mean, the, the bigger question here is probably whether or not a ruckman a good Ruckman necessarily translates to premiership success. I think you wrote a really good article about 12 months ago now, just how much, uh, just how high uh, Ruckman in premiership sides are finishing in the best and fairest and whether or not uh, an A-grade Ruckman correlated to uh, putting side in premiership contention. I'm, I'm sort of in that boat where I don't necessarily believe that you have to have a genuinely elite Ruckman to, to, to contend for the flag. And I don't think the dogs will be too concerned by it at the moment simply because of the science that Tim English is showing. The fact of the matter is, though, if he can't go with Brody Grundy around the ground as well, which he wasn't necessarily able to in round one, he was monstered in the ruck, whether or not how big of an advantage that gave Collingwood's midfielders that they were able to get consistent first use and they had that rapport with their ruckman where the dogs might not have it yet with Tim English. That's another question. But look, I think they can win the flag with Tim English. I don't think it's that big or that decisive a factor. But I mean, I tell you what, they wouldn't want to be playing Collingwood on grand final day if that is the case, because Brody Grundy has got the wood over him over the last couple of years. Yeah, the other interesting thing I, I took out of round one, you obviously mentioned already off the top that Josh Bruce, Alex Keith have come in, and that's a big part of the excitement around the dogs as well because they were seen as sort of filling those those last um, holes, I guess, in, in the side. They, they struggled to kick enough goals last year, and, and by bringing in Keith, they can, they can cover some more of those uh, big forwards and, and get that intercepting presence in. But on top of that, we saw Ben Kavara debut, and then what happened from there was guys like, Josh Shackey, Toby McLean, Ed Richards, none of them played in round one. Now, they were regulars last year. Um, I'm really intrigued to see where they go this season. But what, what did you make of that? You could either say it's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you can say it's good in the sense that they've got less depth. If you're not playing those three players, you, you, your best 22 must be in a pretty good position. But I, I sort of look at Toby McLean as a really interesting case study, someone that's integral to their 2016 premiership and has a really good 2017 season as well. But then look at guys like Josh Dunkley who come into that midfield, Bailey Smith over the last couple of years. And, and Toby McLean sort of been pushed more to a half forward role or to a mm. forward pocket role, playing that pressure forward position. 
And and then you sort of think to yourself, you can't really do that. So do you try and fit him back into the midfield or do you look at a Ben Kavar and think he's someone that's more tailored to that position and you play him? So he's a really interesting one. Ed Richards, they've tried him at either side of the ground. He sort of brought through in his draft year as a, as a running halfback, but they've tried to create him into a pressure forward. Josh Dunkley sort of shoehorned into the one position, I suppose, as a key forward, but you bring in Josh Bruce. So, yeah, it is good depth-wise, I suppose, but but I look at those players and think, is there a spot in their side? Like, like should, a, should a player like Ed Richards be playing over Ben Kavara because he might just be a little bit more gifted individually, even though he can't necessarily perform the role a bit better? So it's what you want from a side. The, the other interesting sort of element that, that you get from looking at the dogs list now, particularly when you say they bring in Alex Keith and, uh, and Josh Bruce in the trade period is they actually won the premiership in 2016 playing small. Mm. And then ever since they've gone for, for key position talent, the next year they bring in Travis cloak. Uh, they bring in Josh Shackey. And then you get in these two players they got over October last year. They've gone very tall. They drafted Tim English in among that period as well. So you get a Ruckman in there as well. So they've sort of gone away from the blueprint that what won them the the 2016 flag, whether or not Luke Beveridge sees the trends of the game developing a little bit differently over time, whether or not uh, he simply thinks that they could strengthen in those areas and they were sort of had to use what they had in 2016. That could be another factor to it. But, but I look at their list now and think, did they, should they maybe have gone a bit smaller? Should they maybe have kept on that one path and then you don't have to make a decision about Josh Shackey and whether or not he plays every week? Or is that simply a plan for him to be a depth player? I'm, I'm not sure. So there's a lot of questions around the dogs list. I, I still, as I said at the top of the show, I really like it enough to tip them for the flag this year. But but it is an interesting case study, particularly what you've seen over the last couple of years where they, they haven't necessarily been able to back up that 2016 flag. And then this season as well, the way they started 2020 with that really disappointing loss to the Pies. Yeah, Toby McLean is is a really interesting case because he had that breakout year going back a few years now um, and looked like he'd really settled into becoming a, a really nice midfielder. And as you said yourself, he, he got pushed onto the half-forward line just because of their weight of or their depth of, of midfield talent. At, at any other club, he's, he's probably playing through the midfield. So he, he's an interesting one to see what happens at the end of the year if we throw forward to, say, the trade period. If he just doesn't play enough this year, he's probably going to have to look for for other opportunities. Do, do you see him potentially being a, a chip that could bring in something else that the dogs need? And and, a, and on top of that, who are some of the guys that, that are out of contract that might either be in an interesting situation as far as what the dogs have to do and also the guys that might fall out? Yeah, Toby McLean is an interesting one in the sense that I'm, I'm really keen to see what he can deliver, hopefully when the season gets back up and running again. So, Obviously, we know it's going to be a, a maximum of a 17-game season. It's not going to be any longer than that. So uh, he's going to have less time to get on the park and to prove his case as a forward or whether or not he can break back into that midfield group. It looks like they're persis- persisting with him as a half forward, given what he displayed throughout the Marsh Community Series. So whether or not he can break back into that side, get ahead of the guys like a Ben Kavara who played in round one, that'll be one interesting facet to, to watch once the season unfolds. And and then if he doesn't get into that side, whether or not he starts weighing up his future, I mean, there's going to be a lot of speculation about contracted players, I think, going into the back end of the year just because of the way that the the, the list sizes could reduce and, and TPPs could be structured, whether or not it could lead to more contracted players being on the move and whether or not Toby McLean then, if that is the case, sees his future elsewhere or whether or not he, he decides to persist and stay with the dogs and try and reclaim his place in that side. So that's a pretty interesting storyline to watch. In terms of other players, they've actually done a pretty good job, the Bulldogs, in locking away their younger talent. I'm really keen to see what happens with their older guys now. So, I mean, Easton Wood, former skipper, turns 31 later this year. He's out of contract beyond the end of the season. Whether or not he just moves to rolling one-year deals now, whether or not he tries to 
to lock in his future for a bit longer than that. Um, we saw even with guys like Tory Dixon, who played a pretty key role in the Dogs' uh, return to form late last season. I mean, he was made to wait a long time late into last year to, to get that one-year contract extension. So they've got a few guys in that basket who, who might have to just wait to see how the season plans out, pans out to, uh, to see how their, their contract situation unfolds. Great stuff, Riley. There's, they're a really interesting club, as probably all clubs are, really. But everyone's got their own little story. And uh, after that loss in round one um, and all the hype in the preseason, they're going to be a, a really interesting club to watch throughout the season. Hopefully, they make you look like a genius, Riley. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Good on you, mate.